If you've ever wished you could fast forward your life and then be able to give your younger self advice, and especially if you're a mom, you're probably going to love today's episode. Today I sat down with my mom, Cy Foster, the blogger behind the best recipe blog in the whole world, A Bountiful Kitchen, but we really didn't talk much about recipes. Instead, we talked through every phase of motherhood she's experienced and what advice she would have given herself or what she wishes she would have known. We cover everything from milk coming in to volunteering in the classroom to how to deal with teenagers and even adult children and how to know when it's the right time or season to do different things in your motherhood journey. I'm so excited to have the most special guest I've ever had on this podcast today. My mom, Sai. Do people mispronounce your name a lot? Say All the it. time. All the C. time. <laughs> anyway, her name is Sai. I call her mom. And she is the blogger behind A Bountiful Kitchen. And she's raised four kids. And so I'm going to let her tell you guys what she's all about with A Bountiful Kitchen and what they do there. And then we'll get into our topic, which I'm so excited about. Yeah, my name's pronounced Sai. And so my full name is Sayuri, which a lot of people don't know. It's a Japanese name. And so I just go by Sai. And I've been blogging for 11 years in August. Oh, gee. And, yeah. <laughs> and um, 11 years. And Corinne originally set up the blog for me. So I just started out by doing like posting recipes that that I had used and tried that I loved and it's just developed over the years from a hobby into a business and just try to post recipes that are family friendly and things that you know that we eat and love and things that um, now I create all the recipes that are on the blog and so it's just turned into a little business for me so and it's a really just such a gift too for our family and so many other families too, but our family to have all of those recipes safely stored in one place where we'll be able to, you know, go back to them for many generations, which is so cool, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got like Grandma Lauder's peanut butter balls <laughs> on there. And right. I don't know, what are some of the other, what are some of your most popular recipes? Oh, gosh. The most popular recipes are probably cookie recipes. Mm -hmm. So the tried and true chocolate chip cookies, which, you know, there's totally a family story connected to those. A lot of the copycat recipes are really popular. The Levain Bakery chocolate chip cookies, French bread, you know, things that we've made for a long time that are really most of those recipes for, I should say, for most cooks, they're, they're fail proof. Yeah. So... Yeah. Yeah. And I've had so many friends, like anytime I bring something, that's like the best part about it is if I bring something to a party or over to somebody's house for dinner and they're like, oh, can I have the recipe for this? Instead of being (laughs) like, oh yeah, I'll get it to you sometime. It's my aunt Sally's, whatever. Mm -hmm. It's like, you can give it to them right there. You can send it in a text. It's so great. It's so easy. And people fangirl about my mom all the time, wherever (laughs) I go, like, oh my gosh, your mom's a bountiful kitchen. I make all of her recipes. And anyway, that's really fun. But people ask me all the time, so did your mom always cook like this? And the answer is yes. (laughs) My mom always cooked like this, like so amazing. Even now, Neil and I laugh about how we'll come home and stay with my parents. And my mom will be like, oh, I'm not making anything special. I'm just going to do like quesadillas. But it comes out this like 
beautiful quesadilla that like is oozing with cheese, like just the perfect amount of cheese. It's perfectly toasted on either side. She like, you know, fans it out with like a little thing of guacamole on the side. And you're just like, are we at a restaurant? Or I thought this was supposed to be simple. Anyway. You guys were easily impressed. Well, I am always <laughs> impressed. And yes, we did always eat so well, especially Sunday. I have so many memories of like Sunday dinner being very special and like cloth napkins. It took until <laughs> I like went away to college and then went to some of my friends' houses for Sunday dinner to realize that wasn't exactly normal <laughs> to always have like the cloth napkin with the, you know, seven course Sunday dinner. And like the jam had to be in a separate dish. <laughs> like you can't just put the jar of home home canned jam on the no table. Jars. Yeah. It had to be like scooped <laughs> out into a cute little dish and put on anyway. So, but yeah, Sunday dinner especially was always very special. And we- Well, that's because your dad was gone a lot during the week. He worked a lot. And so I knew that, I mean, we always had dinner together as a family on Sunday and Monday night. Yeah. And so Sunday, I just wanted it to be, you know, just as it is, you know, in other ways, we wanted it to be different than all the other days of the week. And so we wanted dinner to be special too. Yeah. And I, it was really cool too, growing up, like dad always made that special in his way too, where he would give like these every Sunday after dinner. He, it was the classic, like, oh, I was sitting in the hot tub last night, and I was reading this book. <laughs> it was so good. It was so good, you guys. Like, this is, oh, it's the best thing I've read in a long time. It was kind of always sounded like that, but they were really solid. He would always give, like, a, a gospel message to our family, and I missed that so much when we moved away that I that Neil adopted that, and now he does that for our family. So today, when I what I want to ask— my mom about is something that I feel like a lot of my friends who are in my stage of life or even maybe just slightly younger or slightly older are going to look to someone like you and say, what do you wish you would have known, you know, as a young mom? Um, maybe we'll just start out with like, as a really young mom, like <laughs> first time mom, you just had your first baby or you just got pregnant. What do you feel like you wish you would have known in the very, very beginning? Oh, when I had you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the first thing I wish I would have known that nobody told me about was when your milk comes in. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that was kind of a surprise. And it was because my mom, back in my mom's day, they didn't nurse or breastfeed their children. And so my mom never said anything to me about that. And I was living away from my mom when I was pregnant. So we were in Utah. She arrived at um, the hospital like maybe an hour and a half, an hour maybe before you were born. And so, you know, and back then too, we were students, we were really poor. I did not call home a lot. We were charged for every long distance call. I mean- Oh, I, I remember those long distance calls yeah. being a big deal. It was like you were watching every minute because yeah. you were getting charged. Yeah. So there wasn't, it wasn't like it is now where you just like FaceTime your mom, even if you live on the other side of the world or- or whatever. So I just had no clue. And when my milk came in, I was really surprised. <laughs> so yeah, that was a big surprise. So I had no clue uh, what I was doing. I ended up not breastfeeding any of, I think you were the only child that was breastfed for like a day or two days. That's why I'm the smartest. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not. But, yeah. So that... That was a big surprise to me. It was, I didn't quite know how to deal with that. There wasn't a ton of shaming that went on because of that back in that time, but 
I think after I had you is when people started to get more into, you know, a real, there was a real movement towards breastfeeding and it kind of, I kind of just had to, your dad was super supportive and just said, you just do what you're comfortable with. And mm-hmm. so I didn't get really caught up in feeling badly about not doing that, but it was a little, there were things that, you know, I wish I would have known. I wish I would have known before I had children. Um, that was one of them, you know, just kind of all the changes my body would go through and people just didn't talk about those things back then. That was the early eighties, you know, it was, um, no such thing as internet forums. Yeah. Right. And I mean, I had a baby, went back to work six weeks later, your dad was in school. Yeah. So you were pretty isolated as a new mom. And so, yeah, that was, (laughs) that was a little bit of a hard time. Yeah. What do you, so then like being a working mom and then I know that that was until what, I was about five when Mm -hmm. dad finally like was done with school and you kind of switched places where you got to stay home and then he went out into the workforce every day. So what was that transition like? Um, That was, I was really ready to be at home by that time. I had worked full time for years and we had juggled, you know, he was going to, to engineering school and then law school and and we had been in school for seven years. And so it was kind of a, it was, it was time and I was ready to stay home. I wanted to be home. I wanted to have more children. We made a decision not to have any more children after we had you because we were like, oh, wow, this is really hard. You know, it's. <laughs> I not, was just and, such a trouble child. Yeah. No, you were a really, really easy child, actually. But. See, um, I always tell Neil and he doesn't believe me. So when he <laughs> listens back to this. No, it's hear true. It. You were really an easy child, but it was really difficult to work full time and have a child in daycare right. and, you know, and juggle that back and forth between your dad and his studying and me working. And so. So those were really, you know, I mean, really, it's not like they were tough times, like they were, they were bad times. They were just hard. And, but we didn't have any money. We didn't, we really, you know, we'd go out to eat, like, other than get a hamburger, like maybe once a week, maybe a nice dinner once every couple of months. But it was just, that's all we knew. And we just kind of, you know, we just worked as hard as we could during that time and, and so I was really ready to be at home when when that time came. So, and then you wanted to have another like pretty soon after that, right? Yep. So we almost immediately we moved from Portland to Seattle, and your dad got his first job and first real job. And then I stayed at home. We got pregnant right away with Brooke, and that it it was really different because you know that again was way before like even cell phones. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was, it was, you were at home, you're very isolated as a stay at home mom or stay at home parent. And it was just you and the children and the TV and the TV was on a lot. I think after, especially after I had Steven, I, I had a little postpartum depression after I had Steven and we moved from Seattle to Spokane, and it was cold. It was winter. I had two little kids, and you, you know, were in grade school, and I didn't know anyone. And so, so yeah, that was that was 
a big change from going to work every day, interacting with adults, you know, and then coming home and taking care of you at night. I mean, it was just a big change to just be at home all the time with kids. Yeah. So you went from like working full time, being around adults to like all of a sudden being at home with three kids Mm -hmm. within a couple years, right? Right. Because Brooke and Steven are 19, 19 months apart. Yeah. So So, really within like a couple of years, it was Mm -hmm. just like all of a sudden three kids, basically two babies. Right. And I was kind of under the assumption too, like in my mind, I kind of thought, oh, once Grant graduates from school, like we'll be able to spend all this time together. And and it just wasn't like that. He was in a really, really demanding career. He was trying to build, you know, build his client base and, and it was super competitive. And, um, so it was a lot of time at home with kids. Yeah. Yeah. So, (laughs) so what did you do before, like, before you had the internet, before you had Instagram, before you had like, (laughs) does that sound like a ridiculous question? Before the internet. What did you do? How, what was life like as far as interacting with other moms and having a social network and like, what, what was that like then to be a mom of young kids? Well, so we had a phone with a really long cord at one point, <laughs> and I and I learned really quickly like why my mom talked on the phone a lot to her Japanese friends, and of course I couldn't understand anything she was saying because she was speaking Japanese mm-hmm. when I was growing up. But I learned, okay, this is what my mom was doing. Like she was interacting with her girlfriends on the phone. You know, my mom was a stay-at-home mom, and so I had phone with a long cord, and then about. Mm, about the time we lived in maybe Seattle, Spokane was when cordless, you know, uh, what do you call those? Wireless phones. Yeah, the, the cordless phone. Oh, yeah, yeah. cordless phones. And you had out. to like yeah. plug it in at night. Right. Not a cell phone, <laughs> but a, a cordless oh, yeah. home phone. And that was so freeing. It was just like, wow, you you know, you could move around, you could do housework and and do things. And, and that's how, you know, really you stay connected to your friends in Spokane. I had a really hard time because I was home alone a lot. I didn't have a lot of friends. I kind of, um, made a few friends there and we started, well, back when we lived in Seattle, I started going out once a week. Your dad would come home fairly early from work, like by six. And I would just take off for the evening and, (laughs) It sometimes I just drove down to Albertsons, I remember, and just would sit in the car and read a book, or I'd go inside and just <laughs> read magazines at the magazine rack in the grocery store. It wasn't like I, you know, was shopping or anything like that. I mean, we just still hardly had any money. So I just would get out by myself. And then in Spokane, I got this little group of friends together and we would have play groups sometimes. Our kids would and we'd trade off kids. And then once every other week, we would just go out to dinner together. There were like four of us, I think, four women with kind of younger children. And we'd have this little girls' night out and just go to a restaurant and just sit and talk. So, you know, I and I tried to actively do things so that I could form friendships with other women and share, you know, right. watching kids. Yeah. When you got an invitation or even now when you get an invitation, is it for me a lot of times I'm like, like I know I should do this, but I kind of don't want to because it's just like the effort of like getting out of the house. But what are your feelings on that? Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was just like, I would just jump at anything that, (laughs) so that I could, you know, and it wasn't that I didn't want to be a mom or be at home, but it was just, 
there just weren't a lot of outlets at that time. And I wasn't like, you know, playing tennis and, you know, doing all mm. of these other things. I was just basically at home. Yeah. So it was me, the kids, you know, the telephone, the TV. That's what you had. Yeah. So, so if you could, if you're like looking back or like giving advice to moms now, like, is there something that you're thinking moms could use more of that or you wish you would have known something about, you know, as you matured or got more seasoned as a mom, that were there things that you incorporated into your routine that helped you? Yeah. So when we moved to Salt Lake, I kind of reconnected with some old friends and, and you know, the kids weren't like in that baby phase where you just, because mm-hmm. I almost was like having twins. Brooke and Stephen were so close together. I mean, you're- I think people you call probably, them Irish twins. Yeah. Oh, they're okay. like 18 months apart. Oh, okay. So you can, and you probably kind of remember that a little oh, bit yeah. when they were really young. It's like- they were always in the high chair. I felt like there were just, you know, like probably 18 months where I felt like I did nothing but wash my hands, change diapers, feed them, and put them down for naps. I mean, it was just this constant cycle. And and I there are a lot of things that I just don't remember about that time, I think, <laughs> in my mind. Just it was so focused on just, you know, and, like and my kids mode. were good sleepers, you know, but mm-hmm. it was just a lot of it was just a really intense time of parenting as far as just having children that were so dependent because they were young. Yeah. And then we had moved around a lot during that period. And so I, it was hard to really form really, you know, relationships where you really felt like you could get past the introductory phase mm-hmm. of a friendship. And so that was a little difficult. You know, I just didn't really feel like I had any really close friends. And so when we moved back here, I made more of an effort to just really get to know people more. And I started a group with my good friend, Tessa. This is probably like, we moved back to Salt Lake in 1994. So by 95, Tessa and I started this group called Recipe Club. And we started it with, I think, four or five people. And it grew to about 12, I mean, about 10 people. And we did that for 14 years. So we, and then we would get together like once every quarter and we would host a dinner, each of the different people in our group, and we would pick a theme and it was just a really fun thing. You know, we would all like spend all of this time researching recipes and coming up with recipes that we would cook and bring to this most amazing dinner. And then, oh, I remember. I, yeah. I was lucky I got like a scrap or two after, yeah. but it was a very big deal when Recipe Club happened at our house. It was like, right. don't disturb. Like we were upstairs <laughs> with the movie and dad was like, you can't go downstairs. And then if I got really lucky, I could like exchange doing some dishes for getting some like table scraps. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was such great food. And it was with women who really loved food, loved to cook. And, and you know, we formed some really great friendships over the years in that group. And it was just such a fun thing to do. And it was a really fun outlet. And it was only, you know, four, sometimes five times a year is what we settled into after a few years. But it was such a fun thing to do with with other women. Mm-hmm. And so, and over the years I've done, you know, I, I've just gone out of my way to find things to do with women who where we share the same interests, you know, and I walk with the same person. I've walked with the same person for, you know, Melinda for, gosh, we've walked together for probably 10 years now. And that started out of a group where a bunch of women were training for a half marathon. And I'm not athletic, but 
I thought, well, that sounds fun. And that was a group that, you know, we started walking together and running together years ago. And, you know, just, I, I think for me, I just tried to look for things that I felt like I had common interests with women. Mm-hmm. And when I came away from doing whatever it was we were doing, whether it was volunteering or whether it was working out, or at one time I belonged to a group where we would just try different restaurants and, you know, a recipe club or a temple group. It's just, I just have always tried to look for something where the group that I'm with, were lifting each other up. You know, you come away feeling good. Yeah. So. So are these things that you feel like you just got lucky and got invited to, or are you, was it more like I decided to create this myself? Yeah. I think, I mean, a lot of those things were kind of hatched. <laughs> your dad probably, your dad loves to use that term. They were hatched when we're sitting around with a group of people and, you know, we start talking about interests and then someone says, oh, I'd really love to go try some new restaurants. My husband only likes to go to X, Y, and Z restaurant. Mm -hmm. And so that's what that little restaurant group, it was a group of women that went because one person's husband didn't really love going out to eat. And so someone just made that suggestion. We said, yeah, let's do that. You know, I've gone to movies with women that love to go to movies, you know, and I mean, just all kinds of different things. But a lot of times, yeah, I, I just, you know, will invite other women and, and just kind of make it up. Yeah. And sometimes it lasts for a year or a few months and sometimes it goes on for years. Mm -hmm. So, okay. What do you feel like looking back at that really crazy phase of like, you know, having Brooke and Steven and then having Jake too, you know, (laughs) whatever that was five or so years later. So you have four mm-hmm. little kids. What do you feel like you wish you would have known in that phase of motherhood? Well, I think being a mother and having the privilege of being able to stay at home and, you know, it's a lot of people don't have that. And I think there were times when I just felt like, oh my gosh, get me out of this, you know, instead of just really enjoying it. And I, I will never forget when we were, in Spokane, and I had Stephen and Brooke and you, and we were we had decided to move back to Utah, and Stephen was still young enough that he was in a baby carrier, and Brooke was we was it was on a weekend, and our realtor wanted to have an open house, and we had to be out of the house for like six hours, and so we at one point went to this buffet restaurant and it was horrible (laughs) and and we were just kind of looking at the food going oh my word like what can we even eat here that's you know what's edible and I remember Brooke was your dad was giving Brooke plates of food and she was chucking food all over the place (laughs) and you were kind of sitting there picking at your food and and Stephen was being so good and just laying in his little baby carrier they were different than car seats now there it was like just a little carrier and I was giving him bottles and all of a sudden we'd been there for about two and a half hours I think at this restaurant and Brooke chucked some food and I was trying to grab her so she wouldn't keep throwing food and I looked over and Steven started coughing and then he started projectile vomiting (laughs) and your dad, I think, had gotten up to go do something, like maybe get you something else. Or, and I was just dying. 
And the restaurant was full and this lady walks by us and she was probably, you know, I don't know. I thought she was 80 at the time. She was probably 60 or 70. And she, she just pat me on the shoulder and she goes, oh dear, I've been watching your sweet little family and dear, these are the best days of your life. And (laughs) I'm just... I just remember looking at her and trying to force a smile. And I just thought, oh, my word. Like, if these are the best days of my life, you know, I just didn't know if I wanted to go on. It was <laughs> it was so sad. But I, I look back now and I think, yeah, those really are the best days. The best days are when you're together as a family. You're going through all of those things. And they're hard days, but they're also, they really are the best days. And... So I wish I could just take, you know, go back and tell myself, hey, don't don't take yourself too seriously. It's okay. Everybody's kid projectile vomits at one point or another. You know, everybody everybody's kid, you know, throws toilet paper down and clogs the toilet and creates a flood. And you know, I mean, all these things, they're just, they're just things. They're just little things. And one of the things too that I wish I would have understood more was just that. If your child does something that's not, you know, that that isn't in line with what you would have them do, it doesn't mean you're a bad parent, you know? And and I think I used to think that, you know, of course, this is before your kids grow up. I used to think if your child doesn't behave the way you want them to or the way you think they should, mm-hmm. then that's a, a poor reflection on you. And yeah. it's just not. It's just they're just being a kid, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that, I think I really kind of took myself a little too seriously as a parent. <laughs> and, and you know, we grew up in the age of, your dad and I grew up in the age of, like, you know, as a parent, you just, like, you laid down the law and that was the law. And, you know, you were the parent and that's just the way it was. And so, you know, as we've raised kids and kind of gone through a lot of trials and and, you know, just kind of learning as we go we still are learning as we go and all we have adult children now it's like you just kind of realize that everybody I used to think oh if you have all these children you raise them in the same environment they have the same mom and dad they're going to turn out the same and and there's nothing could be farther from the truth you know everybody comes with their own personality their own will their own you know desires and and you you can help, you know, guide that child along their path, but it, it's not about controlling them. It's about helping to guide them, and then they have to be in charge of themselves. Yeah. Looking back to with like some of like the junior high years and the high school <laughs> years, like moving on to a different phase of life. What do you feel like in those years you learned a lot because you did that four times as a mom, you know, because I think I, like I keep telling you, oh, man, just wait because mm-hmm. we, we're going to do at least three <laughs> girls, you know, mm-hmm. in those phases. What because yeah. I feel like, you know, to your credit, I feel like. I remember coming home and watching Jake walk in, our, my youngest brother, and sitting down on the couch and being like, yeah, I just made out with so-and-so. And I just, my eyes would like almost fall out of my <laughs> eye, like 
you know, like my eyes would just go so wide thinking, oh my gosh, you're really going to say that in front of mom and dad. But you guys had just like, you had made this environment where he felt comfortable just being honest with you and telling you exactly what was going on. And, Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, you know, you guys really did like figure out how to make it so that he just felt like I can totally be upfront with my parents and that's okay. And so, but like, what did, what were some of the lessons that you learned to get there? Well, I think, you know, raising girls is a lot different than raising boys. It's totally different. And we had the two girls first and then two boys and really, hopefully Jake won't listen to this, but really like you and Brooke were really easy to raise. You guys were really easy kids to raise. Steven was a pretty easy kid to raise. We kind of, you know, butted heads in high school, but Jake was a totally different type of kid. And, and so I think for us, it was a, like this kind of slap in the face, you know, like, oh, wow. Okay. So you're not going to have all easy kids to raise. And (laughs) like, you know, we joke about how we were on speed dial with the principal, you know, with Haining down at, at Jake's high school. I mean, like he, seriously, we would get a call from him about every six weeks about something. And we realized, you know, we had these easy kids to raise and then we realized, okay, so we're going to shift gears here. So we can either just freak out about every little thing that happens, or we can just kind of put it back in Jake's court and say, okay, we have this problem now because you did this, you know, so what are we going to do about this? How are we going to handle this? And things that, you know, like we were super, you know, we were super strict about grades. We were, and I think that both, that comes because your dad and I were, our parents didn't really monitor our grades. Our parents weren't really on top of, you know, what kind of students we were until it would almost be too late in the, in the semester or the quarter or whatever. And so early on, I decided that that wasn't going to happen with our kids. Like our kids were going to be the best students they could be, you know, and I probably went a little overboard with that. But when it came to Jake, it was a whole different, a whole different thing because it was like, wow, you know, okay, when he does something, we kind of got to the point where the consequence wasn't really coming from us. The consequence most of the time was he was going to have to figure out you know, how he was going to deal with the consequence that was coming from the school mm-hmm. or from wherever else. So that was, yeah, we, we kind of had to, to just take a deep breath. And, and I think you learn that the more you parent, the longer you parent. I think you also become more relaxed. Like with your first kid, you're like super uptight. <laughs> I mean, we were. And then, you know, by the time you get to, you get 12 years later, you know, it's a whole different story. You just, you're a little more worn out. You're just a little yeah. bit more mellow because you realize, okay, some of these things, you know, I mean, I'm sure you probably even remember, like when you were in first grade, it was like, you would want to wear something to school. And I'd be like, well, it, it needs to be a certain temperature for you to, <laughs> to for you so to I wear. I would like pull the radio like, out and listen to a the dress. Like, weather every day yeah. to find out if it was going to be warm enough for me to wear a skirt. Yeah. Because I was like, no, you're going to be too cold. And by the time Jake got, and like, we would plan out what you were going to wear for your school picture, you know, in elementary school and stuff. By the time Jake got in school, I was like, I don't care. Hopefully it doesn't have a hole in it. 
you know? And if I don't like it, I won't buy the picture. I mean, I didn't even care by that point, you know, because yeah. it was like in the big picture, these things don't make a difference. And that right. that's one of the things, like, even as an adult, Jake and I had this discussion last week about big picture. Like, in the big picture, is it going to matter? Yeah. Like, does this matter? In the big picture, if you make this decision, will this matter? Right. And I think that's how you evolve, you know, once you make it through the junior high and high school years a few times, then you kind of get to the point where you're like, okay, in the big picture, is this going to matter five years from now or two years from now or six months from now? So I want to talk about shift subjects a little bit and talk about being a working mom or doing, having like a side hustle, which you know really well (laughs) now because you've been doing a bountiful kitchen for a long time. You've watched me do it. You've watched Brooke do it. Mm-hmm. And all three of our situations are pretty different as far as like what the financial situation is and the need and the just each situation. Right. Each of our three situations is pretty different, mm-hmm. but I think there are some commonalities. And I just want to know what your advice is to like the mom who is thinking about that or wondering how she should be spending her time or kind of feels like a pull to want to do something, but isn't quite sure, mm-hmm. you know, how to go about that. So I really feel strongly about this. So we've talked about like kind of where I came from and, you know, how we, we had, you know, I was working, your dad was going to school, then, you know, we had all these kids. And then even when you guys were at home, you know, we did little things like I would cater parties or, you know, weddings or things like that. And I'd earn a little bit of money doing that. And you guys were my little helpers. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, that was that was not a real steady thing. But as time went on, I started to feel more of a pull to do things, um, not even just business-wise, but even things like volunteering, you know, at school and different things like that. And I, I, I try to really approach things really prayerfully. And when I have a what I feel like is a decision to make and it would involve our family— I'd pray about it. Your dad pray about it. You know, sometimes we do it together. Sometimes I just pray on my own about it. And even things like volunteering at the school, I just never felt like it was right for me to go down and volunteer at the school. Like when you were in school, I never went to the school and volunteered because I had all these little kids at home and there was five years between you and six years between you and Brooke. Right. So I remember kind of feeling badly about that, but then I thought, no, there'll be time. There'll be a time, you know, and- and when you, I just want to ask one clarifying question for someone who's like, gosh, how, what does that look like praying about? Like, like, are you just in general, like, tell me what to do? Or would you be like more specific about it? Like, this is the decision I'm, I think is right. Is this right? Like, right. how does that, what does that look like for someone who's like, I've never prayed about something like that before? Well, in that type of situation, and usually if I have a decision to make, I usually weigh things out of my mind, come up with an answer myself, like what I think I want to do or the direction I want to go. And then I just ask Heavenly Father, I just say, this is what I think I'm supposed to do, or this is what I'm thinking about doing. Will you let me know if this is right or not? Mm-hmm. Or will you give me some guidance or, get, you know? And it's it's pretty rare that I don't feel strongly one way or another. Yeah. So I usually, you know, it's the study it out in your mind, make a decision, and then go to the Lord and say, is this is this what I should do? Yeah. So, I think that's helpful, though, because I think yeah. there are people who are like, I've never right. prayed about something like that. Or maybe they've 
only said a prayer over a meal or in a group setting and they don't even know. So I think that's helpful to understand what that looks like. Yeah. And I think a lot of times too, gosh, even going back to what you said, when you said, what do you wish you would have known or what would you have done differently? That is one thing that I did not make enough. I mean, I prayed, you know, morning, noonday and night and, you know, food over prayers, food, you know, prayers over all types of other things. But I really wish when I had issues with kids, the kids especially, I wish that I would have been on my knees more asking Heavenly Father, like, what can I do, you know, to help me in this situation with this problem with my child? With And one of the big things that we, you know, I feel like we really struggled with a lot was just harmony in the home between mm-hmm. the kids. And I wish that I would have, that's one thing that I think I could have done a way better job of was just asking for help because there were lots of times that I didn't even think to ask for help with certain things. And I'm sure I would have received a lot of help had I just asked, but yeah, that's usually how I approach prayer. And, um, and I almost always get on my knees and, you know, that's, that's where I feel comfortable saying prayers and on my bedside is where that, where I do that a lot. But yeah, so I, I just didn't feel like I wanted to take my kids to be watched by someone so I could go down to the school. I mean, if I was going to watch a program or something, that was different. Yeah. But I just kept thinking to myself, okay, when Jake gets into school, which there's what, 12 years between you and Jake. Yep. So I thought when Jake gets into school, then I'm going to go volunteer at the school. And that's, and I did. And I, you know, I did a lot of volunteering from the time Jacob was in kindergarten, you know, until he graduated from high school. And then, and by the time he was my only child at home, I was, you know, the baseball mom, the team mom, the, you know, PTA. I I did all of that stuff. And I kind of, you know, sometimes I'd have people say things to me like, oh my gosh, you're, you're always here. And I was like, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I have one kid at home and I don't work outside of the home. And so I have a lot of time to be able to do this. And I was in a you know, situation where I could do that. And so I felt like that was my time. And I felt like perfectly okay about putting that off until my children were in school. And I wasn't taking time away from, you know, like, being with my children at home so that I could go volunteer at the school. Yeah. Did you feel like mom guilt about that or did you feel pretty like confident? A little, a little bit. I mean, I remember thinking, gosh, I really, you know, when you were in school, I really didn't do a lot of volunteering. Yeah. I didn't until you were in high school. I think I did, you know, I did some of those teacher luncheons and things. I think by the time you were almost out of high school. I was so ungrateful and clueless. I don't even know that you did that. (laughs) I did the luncheons for like when they would have conference you know, parent-teacher conferences, I would go and provide lunch for the teachers and stuff. And so, you know, that was... Yeah, well, you know, high school kids in their own world. I just, (laughs) I don't remember that, but I'm sure you did. But, but, you know, on the mom side of that, for me, it's really interesting how I think there is, or there can be a lot of like shaming and mom guilt and stuff with the like, well, are you volunteering? And I had Mm -hmm. a teacher... Annabelle's TK teacher say (laughs) to me at parent teacher conference, like, I don't see a lot of you around here. And which made me feel horrible. But, you know, with the job that I have and the way that we provide for our family, Neil took Annabelle to school almost every day while I was sitting at my computer working because we have 
five or six employees who are like waiting for their assignment for the day and they can't work until I work. You know, that's kind of was our setup that year. And going into this year, it was so nice to have Annabelle's teacher say to me like, hey, I know we all work, you know, if you can't volunteer in class, I totally appreciate it if you want to take some papers home or Mm -hmm. it just was such a different tone. But I think that when she said it in that way, I was like, gosh, I'm probably not the only parent who's feeling like badly about I can't do everything that probably I should be doing if I was a better mom, if I was in the yeah. classroom more. And yeah. And you were saying that when you spoke at a conference and brought this subject up that a lot of women came up to you after and said it was so validating to them to hear like, oh, I've been feeling like I'm the only one who feels this way, right? Right, right. Yeah, I think a lot of women feel like that. And I just think it's really important to remember that, you know, there's a time and a season for everything. And And, you know, whether you're in a position where you need to be working or you want to be working and that takes you away from being able to volunteer in the classroom, then, you know, there are other ways that you can be involved with your child. You don't have to be involved at the school. You can do other things. You can, you know, you can do things with a sports team that they're involved with. You can help at church. You can have their friends over after school or mm-hmm. whatever Which I works. always remember you doing, like, you know, having friends over, making lunches, making treats. Mm-hmm. You know, that was always, like, something you guys created a really great environment for in our home. Yeah. And for me, well, I mean, for me, that was easy for me to, you know, have have the kids come over, you know, during lunch. from the high- We used to live really close to the school or even after we moved you know, Jake, we had, um, the, the kids called it foster Friday, you know? So every Friday they would, all these boys would come to our house and, and, you know, we'd have French dip sandwiches and cookies and I love tater tots. And, you know, but for me, that was really easy. I was home. It was, it was an easy thing to do. And I mean, there are, there's, there's going to be something that you can do at, Mm -hmm. at different phases or stages of your life. And I think you just have to look at what you can do instead of what you can't do. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And just feel like, okay, this is where my, this is where my greatest contribution can be made. So talking about a bountiful kitchen and you turning this into a business, I just want to hear your thoughts and feelings about the time and season of when that came in to play for you. And, and I know that you feel passionately too about this, about like you know, people feeling like, oh, if I don't do this thing, then I'm going to give up my chance or whatever. And mm-hmm. and how this has all played out for you at a at yeah. a particularly different season of life than maybe some people think of as like their prime time for creating mm-hmm. <laughs> a career or a business or whatever. Right. Right. Well, a lot of people, I think, you know, for me, it was, you know, for so many years, it was just like my job was being a mom you know, taking care of our home, being a mom, doing all of the kid things at home. And, and, you know, like I said earlier, your dad was gone so much. He worked so hard. And so there really wasn't time for, you know, for me to take on a business or a, you know, even a hobby that took up a lot of time. And it just wasn't really a desire of mine at that time. And when this came about, so, when you started Bountiful Kitchen for me, it was back when people were doing personal blogs. Mm-hmm. And you were like, oh, mom, 
Because um, I had a little family blog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And people were, like, following each other, you know, and – you had like your blog reader yeah. and you had like, mm-hmm. it was cool to have like you the list of people that you were following and yeah. you could create buttons and share them with right. each other. Yeah. And a lot of it was just like family, you know, like this you said, what we did this blogs. weekend. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of what people do a lot of times on Instagram or Facebook now was on a blog and you were actually writing a blog post and putting pictures up and things like that. And so I had had that recipe group and you started a blog for that, but nobody really got it, you know, mm-hmm. like- Okay, there were like just a couple of us posting to that. And then a few months later, I was like, yeah, nobody really gets this recipe club blog. Like we weren't really, you know, it was like me and one other person were contributing to it, maybe two. And so you were like, oh, we should start a blog just for you and have you put your recipes on. And then when someone asks you for a recipe, you won't have to like copy it off and give it to them. Yeah. Because that was even before people were really even using email a lot. Totally. And so um, I was like, oh, it's brilliant. And and I just ended up really loving taking pictures more than I thought I would. And, and then it became like an online journal. And really I blogged for, I would say at least four or five years maybe before I knew people were making money blogging. I didn't even understand that. And then it slowly started to turn from this fun little hobby into a business. But really until Jake was maybe in his last year of high school, so this was, yeah, four or five years ago, was when it turned into a business. And for me, I don't think I could have done what I'm doing now when I had kids at home because, you know, your dad and I had this deal early on. Like I was going to, you know, primarily take care of the home and the children during the day. Mm -hmm. And then he was going to go to work. And that was the way we worked this out. That was our plan. That was, we were both really happy with that. That worked for us. And so I think to, to kind of change that up, you know, that for us, that wouldn't have really worked. But then once Jake got out of the home, it was like, okay, I have time to do this. You know, this works for me. I love doing this. And so it's, you know, and I'm 57, 57 this year. So you look really, like you're about 42, but anyway. Oh, thanks. <laughs> um, but really, I think for a lot of people, they don't really, it takes a long time to figure out what you want to do. And there's not just like one chance to do something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if early on, if 11 years ago, I, I just don't think this would have fit. For me, this it wouldn't have fit for me to be like, I'm going to make money doing this. This is my, you know, this is my career path. This is my goal. Yeah. It was fine for it to be a fun little hobby then, but it wouldn't have worked for this to be a business at that point in my life. And it does now. I don't have children at home and I have a lot more time and, you know, I can work on this, you know, 60 hours a week or I can work on this 10 hours a week. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's... And, and it feels right now, it feels like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. And maybe it won't, you know, a couple of years from now. But right now it feels right. And so I just think, and again, that was one of those things that I came up with, you know, I formed a decision, you know, and and asked in prayer, you know, is this the right thing for me to do? And I felt really good about it. So. Yeah. But it doesn't, I think it's really important to know that, just because something isn't the right time 
at one season of your life doesn't mean it's not going to be right later. Right. And we talked a little bit before we got into the, this interview about, I love that part in Joanna Gaines' book where she talks about how she had her little shop and it was her little dream and they had bought, I don't know if they were leasing her, that I think they bought the property and they, you know, created this darling little shop and it was thriving and doing well and getting more busy. And then she says in her book that basically God told her, you need to shut it down. Like you need to be at home with these little kids. And she was kind of crushed, but she was like, okay, I'm just going to follow this prompting and do what I feel is right. And and she f- had the feeling that like God would make it up to her later. Mm-hmm. And obviously now to look at what they've done, but it's also interesting to look at, you know, they built this huge thing. They had this huge, they had like the most popular show on HGTV for years. And then they shut that down too, because they've openly said like, that just wasn't right anymore. Like it wasn't the right season anymore for their family to do that. And they're continuing to basically take over the world, you know? Mm -hmm. But I just love that part where she talks about like having the faith to shop, shut down her shop because it just wasn't the right timing. And that obviously like in retrospect now for a reader who's reading that book, it's very Mm -hmm. clear to see now that God more than made it up to her. But at the time it probably was such a leap of faith. So, you know, there probably are people listening to this who feel like, gosh, if I don't pursue this now, if I don't, grow my Instagram following now, or if I don't (laughs) do this, that, or the other, like then I'll totally lose my opportunity. Right. And I just think that's, you know, really cool for you to share that this it's never too early or too late, you know, and maybe it's just not the right season, but there's never like something where like all of your opportunities are going to go away if you don't do the thing right now. Right. I think that's kind of the, the world's, you know, answer or, or, you know, push is like, you know, oh, you, you need to do this or, or that door's going to close for mm-hmm. you, you know, and it, that's just not true. It's yeah. just not true. I mean, you hear about people who, I have a friend who I remember her talking about how her mother had always wanted to paint. And like, as an 80 year old, she learned how to paint wow. and, and painted these beautiful paintings. And she showed this painting it was at a, a talk um, I was listening to her give a talk one time and I saw this painting and I was just like, wow, you know, that is, and as an 80 year old, wouldn't you think that you were just kind of past developing all your talents and, you know, but it's just not true. There's time, there's plenty of time to do yeah. all these things, the things that are right. There's plenty of time. And it's just, you know, I think that lots of times we do, we get all caught up in keeping up with everybody else and, and things that we we think are important, but really if you ask and you take the time to really listen, you'll know, you know, when your time is, when you're supposed to do certain things, whether that's open a business or, you know, spend more time with a certain child or have a child or, you know, whatever. I mean, I just think a lot of these things, if we take the time to ask and then listen, we'll be guided and we'll know. And, and you'll, you'll feel at peace with yourself if you do you know, if you're, if you're asking and listening too. Yeah. So I loved what you said. There's plenty of time to do things when the time is right. Now as an adult mom, what's your advice for, you know, now having adult children, like what do you feel like you've learned the most? Well, I think one of the things that I've learned about having adult children is, you know, a lot of the really great advice that I've received about raising adult children, I have been able to receive advice from 
friends who are also raising adult children. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them have been through really, really hard things, really difficult things in their lives, losing children and, you know, all types of things that, that have been really difficult. And so I think surround yourself with really good friends, friends who have really strong foundation of faith in God and who will be there to support you and support your children, lift mm-hmm. your children up as well. And to understand that your children have to be in charge of themselves. You yeah. can't be in charge of your children, your adult children. When your child is eight, you can be in charge of your child. But when your child is 28, your kid already knows what you believe, what you, how you feel, mm-hmm. the direction you would have them go. That's one of the hardest things. One of the hardest things I had to learn was that, yeah, you don't need to keep repeating to your child your what your faith is, what your path is, what you think your path for them should be. But your child is going to, they're in charge of themselves. They're going to make their own decisions. And when they make their own decisions, you just need to be there for them and love them. And, you know, it's that's one of the, probably one of the hardest lessons I've had to learn. Yeah. Well, I know that I, my parents have told me that I didn't keep them up at night until I was in my twenties. So that was definitely, (laughs) definitely, I gave them a real run for their money once I became an adult. Oh, but no, that's, it's true. You were, you were a pretty easy kid. Well, I don't know, maybe easy kid, hard adult, but you know, (laughs) just for those couple of years. Yeah. I've tried to come around, but Anyway, okay, well, that's that's great advice. I think that, you know, I think with all phases of life, just loving people, you know, loving your children, whatever age they are, in whatever phase they're in, whatever they're struggling with, you know, that is like the ultimate lesson that to just love people. But right. it can be really hard. So, okay, if there's one thing that you want the mom who's listening to this to walk away with, what's your one message? Well, gosh, (laughs) I think really to understand what a blessing and privilege it is to be a mother. From the time I was a young girl, I wanted to be a mom. I mean, that's what I wanted to be. And I think sometimes it's, and especially when you're in those years where your kids are so hard, like physically, it's hard to be chasing kids around, to be changing, you know, diarrhea diapers, diapers, (laughs) you know, things like that. It's, those things are hard, but I think that you can either be really down on your life at that point and think, oh my word, like this really stinks, or you can just deal with it and then look at your blessings and just be, you know, I look back on just what a privilege and blessing it has been to be a mother. And I know people who have just had so many trials, just even trying to get pregnant, you know, Mm -hmm. or adopt a child. And I think, gosh, I was just, you know, it was just really easy for me to have children you know, overall. And I think it really, it's just, it is such a blessing. And I'm just really grateful that, that I was able to, to be a mother and also to be able to, you know, be in the space I was 
be able to stay at home with my children. It's really easy to kind of look at those days sometimes as like, oh, this is drudgery, you know? <laughs> yeah. But really that was a huge blessing in my life. And so I think if you can just, you know, kind of look past all of the hard things and just realize what a blessing that is, no matter what circumstance you're in, that that that's just a huge blessing to be able to be a mother. I love that. And I feel very blessed to have you as my mom. So thanks. Thanks, Corinne. Okay. Well, now that I'm crying, (laughs) this podcast interview has been so awesome and I've learned a lot from it. It's funny, like doing these episodes with like you or with Brooke or even with Neil, like people who I feel like I know the best in the world. I still learn things that you don't know until you sit down and just talk about something and get really deep. So thanks for sharing all of this with us today. Where can people find you if they want to follow along in, you know, your personal journey and then also get all of your amazing recipes too? (laughs) At aboundfulkitchen.com. Okay. Aboundfulkitchen on Instagram. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, Mom. All right. Love you. Love you. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode.